since its founding more than 20 years ago, Campbell University Divinity School has been guided by a unique six-word mission statement, Christ-centered, Bible-based, ministry-focused. That mission statement captures our distinct integration of academic rigor, spiritual formation, and practical application. It lays the foundation for an unusual strong sense of community among a very diverse student body, drawn from many different denominations, ethnic backgrounds, age groups, along with the faculty and staff. It expresses the deep, shared commitment to our faith and willingness to engage with different points of view that characterize everything we do. We do not seek simply to inform students, rather we invite them to journey into transformation, challenging them and equipping them to develop their own understanding of what it means to be Christ-centered, Bible-based, and ministry-focused. We invite you to learn more about us. Check out our degrees, concentrations, and programs. Come to one of our continuing education lectures, to Visitation Day, or to one of our regional recruiting events. Contact us to schedule an individual visit. Call one of our faculty to lead a retreat or Bible study or to wrestle with difficult issues. You can reach us online at divinity.campbell.edu. We look forward to hearing from you. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Before we get to our conversation, we want to tell you about CBF ChurchWorks. CBF ChurchWorks Conference creates a space each February for congregational ministers of education and spiritual formation to be equipped for the journey through creativity, community, and worship. To teach the people of God, educators need a place to be equipped, to be inspired, and to be renewed. ChurchWorks 2019 focuses on sharing the love of Christ by battling injustice, exclusion, and marginalization in our communities. Hear from unique voices of those who are bearing witness to Jesus Christ in their communities and creating a true sense of belonging to God and to one another. Join our colleagues February 25th to 27th at Third Baptist Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Register now at cbf.net backslash churchwork. And now, on to our conversation. Rashida Graham Washington is the Executive Director of Communities First Association, a faith-based nonprofit commitment to asset-based community development. And Sean Castleberry is the Executive Director for Mission Year. Rashida and Sean are co-authors of Soul Force, Seven Pivots Towards Courage, Community, and Change. Rashida and Sean, thank you for joining the conversation. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's good to be here. All right. So for those that aren't familiar with you and your work, let's learn a little bit more about you. Uh, Rashida, let's start with you. Oh, wow. So I am a, a neighbor and um, a community member, um, a community connector. Um, I was born and raised in the Austin community on the west side of Chicago, which is the largest of 77 communities in Chicago. Um, it is the most intentionally, historically, and traditionally underserved community um, in Chicago. And uh, yeah, that really shapes and forms who I am today quite critically. I grew up in a home with um, extended family, and that also shapes and forms um, who I am today. Um, I am a lifelong learner with a heart toward education a mother of three daughters who are each 10 years apart and a wife of just one husband, Daryl Washington. Um, and we still live in very close proximity to where I was born and raised 
I currently live in Berwyn and I own a coffee shop in uh, Oak Park. And Oak Park, Berwyn, and Austin are all adjacent to one another. And so those three communities are the communities that I work most closely with as it pertains to community development. And they are the spaces where I most um, do most of my life. So that's a little bit about who I am. All right. So I know you've authored this book, but I'm the father of two daughters. Um, anyway, you could write a memoir to help all of <laughs> All my dads that are trying to figure out the best way. I grew up in a household with three boys. And first of all, I don't know how my mother didn't murder all of us, um, you know, (laughs) for making her life a living hell. But, uh, you know, there's something wonderful about raising daughters. And uh, I just feel like I'm I'm, I'm faking it to make it every single day. (laughs) Well, then that means you're doing it right, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. Uh, so tell us more about uh, Communities First Association. Mm-hmm. So Communities First Association is a national nonprofit organization, um, and we work in partnership with um, other organizations. So we're a bit of an intermediary where we work together with grassroots organizing and orga- uh, organizations but also with um, what we refer to as grass tips organizations, organizations that are larger than us um, in teaching, training, coaching, consulting around what we refer to as ABCDE squared, asset-based community development, economic development, and equity. Um, And so we help organizations, denominations, churches, schools, but also neighbors and community organizations to identify the gifts and strengths and talents they already have at their fingertips and talk about how to mobilize those towards equitable lifestyles for all of the people who are part of a particular community. And we do that all over the country and sometimes in other parts of the world. So take us into your calling to that work. Um, You know, that's not exactly something most people are saying, this is what I want to step into for my vocation. Yeah, um, and I'm no different. I definitely did not jump and leap at my call. Um, So I have a background in education administration and supervision of curriculum and instruction. Um, My vocation started out um, very heavily focused on education, particularly within the city of Chicago. Um, And in doing that work of coming alongside and leading schools, what I quickly discovered is that unless the community was um, rising to the occasion and playing an integral role in the organization and development of the school, that whatever the school was doing would not be sustainable or viable. And so that sort of caused a natural shift into a curiosity and wonderment about how to be involved with the community, who should really be spearheading all of the things that are work, that are happening in the community, including education, um, where my focus had been for so long centered on education itself, it became evident that if we focus our time and attention on communities and um, making room for the empowerment of communities, 
that what we do in education and what we do in terms of civic responsibility and what we do in terms of economics and any other topic or element related to that community would flourish and it would flourish consistently because it was the community who was driving it. So that was kind of what led me to um, to make a little bit of a pivot, if you will, um, from focusing on education as a, as a primary emphasis for my work to focusing on community development. This life giving work. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you, you in a sense are breathing life into the communities and all the mechanisms that they're at work. Um, that's fascinating. Well, I like to think that there's already so much life there. Um, and honestly, I would, I would say just the opposite. I would say that there's already so much beauty in the communities that I come alongside and there's already so much happening in the places I get to go to and be a part of that often I find that they're breathing so much life into me. So it's my honor and my privilege and my witness to be able to come alongside communities and really share whatever I have to offer to what they're already up to. Well, Sean, what about you? Uh, What's your story? Well, I grew up in the church. My my dad was a pastor and I was kind of groomed for the family business, uh, for ministry. And um, and everything was going fine and, until I kind of went to seminary and started having a crisis of faith. And it wasn't typical, like, you know, seminary warning, like, watch out, you'll lose your faith if you start, uh, you know, questioning things. It was, it was just my own... Uh, kind of wrestling with how I had grown up, uh, how I'd grown up in white Christian culture, and I started questioning the, the gospel that had been handed down to me and trying to really figure out what was the gospel and what was American white culture and trying to uh, separate the two. Um, I had grown up in a Wesleyan holiness tradition where everything was focused on you know, my personal righteousness and uh, it kind of had become uh, a very individualistic. I'd become very hyper focused on my myself, and almost obsessed with my spiritual uh, my spiritual position. Um, and it was kind of developed into kind of a spiritual narcissism. And uh, as I started opening up and realizing, like you know, I had been given a moral conscience, but I had not developed a social conscience as I started opening up my eyes to what was happening in the rest of the world. It really led to a a crisis of faith. And um, what does my Christian faith really have to offer a world of injustice? Does God really care about uh, justice and the things that are happening in the world? And, uh, you know, I started looking around my own life and, uh, you know, I was at seminary. I was following Jesus. I wanted to go wherever God was calling me to go, but I was looking at my life and it was very segregated. I was, you know, living in a homogenous neighborhood. I was going to church, a, a homogenous church, and I had not made intentional choices to be separate, but somehow my life had become that without me even choosing it. And that's what kind of scared me and also opened my eyes and saying, if I want to live something different, I have to make intentional choices to, to go against the flow. Uh, of what's uh, what's happening. So that led uh, my wife and I into a, a, a long kind of soul searching and we decided to move into a community on the west side of Chicago um, about 15 years ago. And, you know, a lot of times you hear this, the narrative of, 
you know, the white people moving into the neighborhood. It's like the white savior. For us, it was the opposite. Our faith has been crumbled. And so for us, going to the city actually saved our faith. And um, we found that God was very real and very much in the city. God had a heart for justice, even more, uh, an incredible heart for justice, more than we could even imagine. So uh, we work with uh, an organization called Mission Year, which brings young people into the city to have a similar experience, to see that God is, is really present and real. Um, I wonder if you might share, um, you know, some of the experience that some of those um, students and young adults are experiencing through Mission Year. Yeah, it's it's really it's really cool because we we invite young adults to come together to live together and work together. And one of the things we talk about is, you know, Jesus did, never said agree with one another. Jesus said love one another. And so a lot of the transformation is uh, happens as they're trying to figure out how do I how do we love. Uh, one another uh, across dividing lines. But then the other transformation happens as they're uh, reaching out into the, the community. And uh, we have to break down a lot of, we all have these, these kind of ideas of like, we're, we're the ones going in to help. And, and the, the really cool thing is once they realize they're just as broken as anyone else and their neighbors have as much to teach them and to show them as, as they do. And so a lot of the, the beauty comes and uh, as they see the faith of their neighbors, as they see the community that's built, the hospitality. Um, one story is I remember, you know, really vividly, we were pulled the first day um, in a van uh, in a house. It, it was a, uh, a team that was moving into a, a Latino neighborhood on the west side, La Villita. And as they were getting their bags out of the car, um, people from the community started coming over to the, to the, to the van and start uh, helping them and grabbing their, their luggage. There was a little girl that was grabbed this really big suitcase and she's like pulling it up and they're all just kind of helping to bring, bring their stuff into the house and welcoming them. And um, I, I sat this thing down later and I said, I, I just want to make sure you realize what's happening here. You know, the way that you were, did you see the way that you were welcomed here? And I said, now if, if the roles were reversed, if they were moving your they received the same kind of welcome and I said, no, they wouldn't. And I said, part of this year is to learn how to welcome in the way that you were welcomed. And uh, I think this experience of this opportunity to learn, how do we really love our neighbors? That's fascinating to hear you talk about that is, you know, we're, we're recording this and, um, end of October and what's going on in the news right now is, you know, um, you've, you've got a group of migrants who are moving closer and closer um, to the United States border seeking asylum. And um, just the language that people use, uses to describe this group uh, really kind of determines how people view them and where our culture is right now. Um, we seem to be so divided um, amongst each other over such things. And so it's so uh, extraordinary to hear people who aren't just looking for, um, you know, uh, something to blow up on social media because you, you've, you've come up with some sort of um, saying um, or statement that you think people should, should, you know, take on this, but instead you're living this and you're inviting others to experience the stepping outside of what they're comfortable and what's known in order to understand 
the full uh, depth of what hospitality and community looks like. Yes, and I think it's so important that we learn people's stories. And most of the time, because we're segregated, because we've been living divided from people that are different than us, we don't hear their stories. And so then we become very susceptible to the stereotypes, the, you know, the narratives about people when we really haven't even taken the time to get to know them, to hear their story. Um, Rashida and I just you know, were watching the movie, The Hate You Give. And one of the things we were talking about, the, the reason it was such a powerful movie is you get to hear the narrative that goes behind uh, the incident. Uh, you know, the, the story uh, follows, you know, a young girl and, and who, who has a friend who is shot by the police. And, you know, usually we're thrown into that kind of narrative, but we don't know the backstory. And so the movie shows the backstory. It's the same thing. When we get to, learn, to, to hear people's stories, to, to know who they are, it changes us because uh, we see that they're human and they, they're, they're like us. And a lot of times, like with, with the migrants who are, who are coming to the border, a lot of them have Christian faith. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but it's so easy to uh, demonize those that we don't know and, um, and to fear those that we don't know. And that's why it's so important to build bridges across dividing lines. This podcast is presented to you by the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University. The School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University exists to prepare men and women for Christian ministry, namely the work of the Lord's Church. Our two degrees, the Master of Divinity and the Doctor of Ministry, are carefully designed to equip and encourage ministers for the calling that God has placed on their lives. The Master of Divinity offers six concentrations, and the Doctor of Ministry can be obtained in either Christian ministries or pastoral care and counseling. Should God have called you to any number of ministry vocations, or if you aren't quite sure which one yet, you will find a place here at Gardner-Webb where, as one of our former deans once said, your heart and your head can be friends. For more information on the Divinity School and upcoming events, visit gardner-webb.edu backslash divinity. In June, you released um, Soul Force, Seven Pivots Towards Courage, Community, and Change. And this is a, a brilliant, brilliantly penned work that tackles um, some of the biggest obstacles in religious and societal landscape with this deep and thoughtful and wonderfully simplistic application. Um, y'all wrote, Soul Force is a way of life for courageous and compassionate people. Behind Soul Force is a theology of love characterized by the strength to love God our neighbors, and even, and especially, our enemies. Um, walk us through uh, the motivation behind this book. So I can jump in there. Um, Sean and I, uh, a couple of years ago, were on a, a pilgrimage of sorts together, uh, where we went to Cape Town um, in South Africa, and we were both really tired and doing a lot of wondering about the work. Um, how impactful was the work, um, how sustainable is the work that we're doing um, with young people and community development um, to create transformation in our city and in our country and in our world and um, just feeling the weight of not having as many opportunities as we need to unpack the the challenges and the emotions that are tied to the kind of work we do. And um, on that journey, we were just kind of sharing a lot of those feelings and talking a lot about them. And we went to Robben Island 
and literally had the opportunity to to stand in places where Nelson Mandela stood. And um, the island is essentially comprised of limestone. And the sun was hitting all of the rocks um, where the um, prisoners would have been kept and where they would have been responsible for breaking down those limestone rocks. And the way that the sun was hitting the rocks, we imagined that it would have been a blinding experience to be there. And we were maybe a score of miles away from shore. So you're on Robben Island and the Atlantic Ocean separates you from the hustle and bustle of the city, but it's close enough um, to be palatable, to, to feel like you should be a part of the community that's unfolding, um, close enough for you to be able to see it, but far enough away not for you not to be able to participate. And we then had the honor of standing just outside of Nelson Mandela's cell, where we could put our hands on the bars of that um, of that prison cell and imagine the 27 years he spent in that place. And um, what we realized is how profound the work really is and how necessary and important it really is. And we started to ask ourselves what it took for a person like Nelson Mandela um, and all of the controversy and all of the challenge um, and all of the questioning and skepticism that even currently surrounds the work he did with his life, what it would have taken for him to continue to um, be a part of the work of community transformation and nonviolent peacekeeping and peacemaking, even from this tiny little prison cell, because it was a really, really tiny space. Um, and we agreed that there was something in his soul, something internal, a force, an energy that motivates us into this work that goes beyond what our natural capacity is. And so it's kind of from that place that soul force was born. We started to ask ourselves, what are the changes we would have to make in ourselves and in our um, collective communities together in order for our soul force to create a movement like Nelson Mandela was so much a part of a movement. And those seven pivots that are um, laid out in the book are our response to that question. So that's kind of where the, um, the book comes from. The book centers on these seven pivots, as you said, and pivoting, of course, is, is a turn or cause to turn in place, to, to change direction or course. So, who and, and what are you calling to pivot? I think we're calling um, you know, individuals, um, we're calling um, governments. <laughs> you know, I, I think we all have a responsibility, a role. Um, so any, le any leader, um, that wants to see change. This book is really written for change agents, for people who want to change, because you can't pivot someone that doesn't want to change. Um, and and it has to. It starts from within, and then it comes and it goes out. And um, the thing about the the pivots and, and and soul force, a lot of times we look at these these figures like Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King and Gandhi, who who really coined the, the, the phrase of, of soul force, who really lived it out and, and fleshed it out as a way of life. Um, 
and and they developed it from uh, from Jesus, the life of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But we look at at, at folks like that, and and we kind of say like, oh wow, well they can do that, um, but you know I can't, I can never do anything like that. And so what what the pivot is really for is for everyday people to realize like, yes, these these uh, these heroes, right? These these people that we we really lift up. Um, they were able to tap into this courage within themselves and, and transform the world. But we have that same capacity. And the, the nice thing about the pivot is sometimes we feel like we, ha- we have to overhaul everything and then it just gets overwhelming. And then we just get tired and we're like, I can't do that. It's too much. Um, how am I ever going to get um, to the place that where I need to be? I, I just can't even see how I get there. But when you think about it, it's just a pivot. It's, it's just a, it's a slight directional turn that could actually create uh, movement in our lives and create change uh, beyond what we even can imagine. Uh, that's, that's what this is about. So we really want to empower everyday people. We want to empower the, um, the, the school teachers, you know, that are uh, operating schools on a shoestring budget or the community leaders, the, the community gardeners, the, the parents who are worried about their kids. Uh, and not sure, you know, how do, how do we, uh, how do we really have the courage to, to parent in, in this day and age, right? Or, or the pastor who is uh, feeling isolated and alone. And um, how, do, how do I tap into my soul force as, as a pastor? Like, we really wanted to break it down into very practical uh, pieces and, and really like open up our own lives and our own journey because um, we're, not, we're not coming into this as experts. We're coming in as guides on the side and really want to to lead from an authentic place and saying there are times where we we were tired there were times that we were um, frustrated there were times that we were hurt and and broken and um but as we've taken these pivots we've seen um a credible transformation happen not only for us but for our communities and organizations i think that's one of the uh, the beautiful aspects of this book is um you know, y'all, y'all are agents of change within your community and you have experienced that, but you wrote it in such a way that introduces the concepts and tangible action steps for people. But then you invite people to ask those questions, to, uh, to go through a time of discernment, to come up with what this contextually looks like for them. Um, you know, one specific um, pivot I'd like for us to settle on for a few minutes is uh, the pivot from uh, barriers to bridge building. And when we record this podcast, we are um, one week out from midterm elections and American politics is just the very personification of barriers. And you wrote, when barriers are implemented by the institutions against the community, it denigrates the community's ability to care for themselves, stripping them of their dignity, humanity, these unhealthy institutions and structural barriers can lead to misogyny and racism and homophobia. Rather than seeking the involvement and leadership of the community, the institution creates a barrier between itself and its own constituents. I'll admit to you that I am a cynic. So tell me, how can we even make a dent in the systematic way that our social, religious, economic, and political institutions are putting up barriers? So I, um, I too am a cynic. <laughs> Um, I'm not alone. (laughs) You are not alone. Um, And um, I think that's why Soul Force is such an important text. It it is for people like me and you, Andy, who 
sometimes by eight or nine or 10 o'clock at night, we're asking ourselves, what am I doing and why, right? Like, why am I doing this? And is it really going to be impactful? Is it really going to make a difference? Um, I think that because we understand um, the way that the institution works, even though we may not always agree with the systems that um, the institution creates and produces, and because we also understand the way that community works and have such a heart for the people, um, we are the folks who are poised to be the bridge between the two. Um, and I think that we have to be willing to do the hard work of um, kind of running up and down a metaphorical ladder where we're running up the ladder to talk to the institution to say, this is how the work you're doing is impacting the community, be it positive or negative. Here are the lenses to see the impact of your work in ways that maybe you can't see, so you don't even know the impact that it's having on the community. And we can also act as the subversives within the community to come alongside the community and illuminate ways that we can leverage institutions towards the mobilization of community transformation. I think we are the bridge. We are the connectors. Um, I think sometimes we think about bridge building as a sort of constructed thing, a tangible thing, but it's the human beings that work together that really create more of a metaphorical bridge between the two. And that is a slow work, but it's a necessary work um, because as that work is unfolding, um, lives are being changed in both places. And I think we have um, a responsibility to acknowledge the humanity in both the people who represent the institution and also the people who represent communities. I think Soul Force helps us in these very kinds of moments because it reminds us that we do, like Rashida said, we have a unique role and responsibility as people of faith in the midst of division. And I mean, I, I, we're, we've not seen probably as much division as we have right now. And I think even you're looking at the political system, looking at the church, uh, it's very divided, especially over the, the conservative and liberal spectrum. And um, what Soul Force actually helps us see that uh, we're all kind of responsible for creating the barriers that exist. And then we also have a responsibility to overcome those. Um, I was, I was uh, driving to uh, Stateville prison with a chaplain friend of mine, and he uh, said something very profound that kind of highlighted some of the, 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 the issues that we're talking about here. He said, you know, it's interesting, uh, conservative Christians uh, love to come into the prison and they visit prisoners and they do Bible studies and they pray with them, but they won't advocate for policies, uh, for changing policies that would actually keep them from coming into the prison. And he said, you know, liberals advocate for changing the systems, but they don't come into the prisons. They don't visit people. And um, when he said that, I, I, was, I was really struck. And I started to realize that, you know, we have blind spots uh, on, on both sides. And uh, for, the, for the conservative, there's the systemic blind spot where we, we don't see the systems. We, we see the individual, we see the person, and we want to change the world one person at a time but we don't see the systems that could actually uh, create more abundance and more uh, equity. But the liberals have a blind spot too. They have a solidarity blind spot. They see the system, but they don't see the, always see the people. And they want to fight for changing the systems, but they don't always 
um, want to hear that, hear the story or, um, or care for that, that, the individual. And, you know, Jesus, you know, would say like, uh, don't uh, pick out the speck in your brother's eye, like address the log in your own eye. And I think that is the place to start for us is to, to recognize what are our own blind spots and how is that preventing us from seeing? And, uh, you know, I, I came across uh, an interesting kind of stat. Uh, one said that conservative Christians are the group that most likely objects to having a neighbor of a different ethnicity than them. And, uh, and so a lot of liberals would say, yeah, yeah, we can, you know, we see that. But then I found another stat that said the more progressive sounding uh, the Christian is, the more progressive they are, the, the most likely they are to not have a neighbor of a different ethnicity than them. So there's hypocrisy, uh, you know, on both sides. And uh, because we, we just are, are pointing at the other, the other side and saying, we're right and they're wrong. No, we're right and they're wrong. It's creating this impasse. And, um, you know, there's, uh, 38,000 different Christian denominations, like, and most of them are, think that they're the one right one. And, uh, you know, I think about Jesus prayer where, you know, before Jesus goes to the cross, his prayer is, may they be one, uh, not may they be right. Not may they have beautiful buildings, right. Um, may they be one. And I think that that is really our challenge is how do we be the answer to Jesus prayer? How do we, instead of, building up and enforce, reinforcing these barriers and insisting that we're right, how do we recognize that uh, we have blind spots as well as our brothers and sisters? And our task at the end of the day is not to prove that we're right. It's to be loving. And I think that's what, uh, you know, Dr. King shows how to love those that are our enemies. I mean, he had, his house was bombed. You know, he was dealing with white supremacists. Like we've had a lot of resurgence of white supremacy. Like King shows us how do you stand up for truth and justice, but also reach out with love to those who are persecuting or to the very ones who are hurling insults and, um, and doing things that are destructive and violent. Uh, Soul Force gives us that model of how to do that. So the narcissist test is step one. Take a moment to think about yourself. Step two, if you didn't make it to step two, then you're a narcissist. I, I, I wonder if part of the problem within our culture is we've become so obsessed with being right and being heard instead of um, serving. And, and one of the, the ways I believe as we begin to pivot within our communities and the church is what you've said is a shift from, from self-centeredness to solidarity. So I wonder, in, in the six months since this book is released, how have you seen this specific pivot um, play out uh, within your own communities and maybe feedback from some of your readers? Yeah, I'd say for our organization, we, we've really been trying to embrace this. And uh, I've noticed, uh, I noticed a, a shift in even our, the culture of our organization. Um, like I said, we, we have young adults that are coming from across the, the spectrum and we've had, we've had situations where, you know, we have a, a you know, a young person that says, I don't want to be at the table if the, my LGBT, LGBTQ uh, brothers and sisters are there. And for, for all of, for all of them to, to be at the table and, and I've had to fight to, for them to stay at the table and, and, 
and say, we want you at the table. You belong at the table. We are all part of the body of Christ. And despite our, you know, the ways that we think that we're right and the ways that we interpret the scriptures, uh, we've got to settle in and we've got to, to stay at the table. And so it's created a, a really um, uh, challenging um, place for us as an organization, but I think uh, is it's also a very beautiful uh, place, and it's, it's causing us to um, to really learn what it means to love each other. And uh, you know, I'm reminded, you know, Jesus says it's easy to love those that that can love you back. And um, but if you really want to be like the Father, you need to love your enemies. And uh, and yeah, it's just, it's got, it's taken us to a deeper place theologically too of, of understanding, you know, the scriptures say that when we were still enemies, that's when, when uh, God demonstrated his love toward us and turned us into beloved sons and daughters. And, uh, and so the challenge is for us to do the same. So that's one way it's, it's, uh, we're really trying to walk that out as an organization in the midst of some very hard, uh, divisions, uh, We've gotten a lot of great feedback from from people. I think specifically around the the first pivot, fear to freedom. Um, we start off with with fear because fear is what keeps so many of us from progress in uh, in in our lives, uh, whether that's in our faith journey or um, whether that's you know in a in our jobs or uh, in whatever you know dreams we may we may have. Uh, and so uh, we, during our book tours and during our, our times where we have trainings and workshops, we'll have people name their fears. And it's one of the most powerful things that, that we do. And uh, when you can name your fear, then it, it, gives, you, uh, it gives you this sense of, of, of freedom. And it gives you this, uh, I don't know, it gives you this empowerment that, uh, you know, once you can name it, it, it won't hold. It doesn't hold you back in the same way that it did uh, before. So we've had people get. Uh, we've done it in churches and during Sunday morning church service. We're like, all right, would anyone like to name some of their fears? And uh, and people will name them. And um, yeah, it's it's some of the most significant things that that we see happen. Uh, we had we were doing a uh, a workshop at a at a community library, and um, and someone started naming, you know, the fears, like I, I've been feeling like God's leading me to branch out and to, to go after this new, um, this new thing, but I've just been so crippled with fear. And, uh, in that moment, they just, they named it and then they just came alive and they've been pursuing that uh, ever since. And so, uh, and then they called their friends and were t- telling their friends about it. And yeah, it's, we've seen that kind of, uh, that, that kind of, Thing. people are getting free people are, are, are finding hope in the midst of their hurt um they're entering it more into solidarity with others they're finding ways to to love across dividing lines like and that's what we intended that's what we we really hoped would happen well it's a powerful book um inviting people into powerful change um so forth seven pivots towards courage community and and change um you can pick it up wherever books are sold rashida and sean thank you for challenging us to, to change our course from what will divide us into what will bring holistic change. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. 
This podcast is brought to you by David Carell of Universal Creative Concepts. At UCC, they specialize in partnering with churches and ministries like yours to provide quality products for your logo and branding. David likes to find the right products that represent and fit your desired need and budget. UCC can logo virtually any product that you might be looking for. Need apparel like t-shirts, jackets, polos, socks for staff, youth groups, conferences, or for many other branding needs? UCC is your one-stop shop. UCC can provide all logoed items that you use for visitors, from pins to drinkware, or tees for VBS. David desires to be your go-to guy for all items logoed. On a personal note, I've been using David at Universal Creative Concepts since 2009, and I hope you will give him the opportunity to serve your promo needs. Whatever you want logoed, David does it. Contact him today at 1-888-GO-TO-GUY or 888-GO-TO-GUY.net. That's 1-888-GO-TO-GUY or 888-GO-TO-GUY.net. Hey, you won't be disappointed. Well, that's our episode. We'll see you next week. Visit cbf.net for more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, stories about our field personnel, chaplains, and church starters, as well as our advocacy work around the world.